This episode of our Reimagine Mental Health podcast takes us on a heartfelt journey through the intricate landscapes of youth mental wellness, guided by the heartwarming bond of a mother and daughter who've traversed this challenging journey hand in hand. We delve into the heart of these struggles and peel back the layers of societal pressures, academic stress, peer dynamics, and of course, the ever-evolving digital age, which shaped the modern young adult experience. I'm so pleased today because our guests, I've been wanting to interview both of our guests together for a very, very long time. Azanya Mosaka and her daughter Shamiso Mosaka, welcome to both of you. Azanya, a seasoned broadcaster. Shamiso, an entertainer, television presenter in her own right. So I'm absolutely thrilled that we've got the two of you with us today. We also have our experts as usual, Ashley Craig, clinical psychologist, and Boitumelo Macheni. Boitumelo is from Investec and he brings a wealth of knowledge from Investec as a financial advisor. So good afternoon to all of you and thank you so much for joining us on episode two of our Reimagine Mental Health podcast. Hi, Katie. It's really lovely to be here. Such a pleasure. I'm so glad you agreed to this. Azania, let's start with you. You've had a phenomenal career. You're an inspiration to so many in the media industry. Behind the scenes, when it came to home life, when it came to kids and mothering, you were also going through some challenges at home, some mental health challenges specifically with uh, Shamiso and us. And, and of course, that's the basis of our conversation today. Yeah. You know, Katie, when you work in the public, you try your very best to keep certain things private and to manage what goes out. You know, so that's how I ran my career for the 20 years that I was in radio. I really worked hard to keep certain things private. And I can recall in when Shami first got to university, she was first year having an amazing time at Wits University, or at least I thought it was an amazing time. She lived away from home for the first time in her own apartment, not far from university. And we would have our occasional differences about get in touch. Why are you not answering my calls or SMSing me back? And, you know, meanwhile, she was having her own very different experiences that I did not know about. And then Things kind of culminated in a cyberbullying incident that happened on social media, which kind of really set us off on this path because it was quite a spectacle. I can remember the day. It was, what was it, the 17th of October, 2017? Uh, So I can still remember it. It was a Sunday and there was just this barrage of tweets where she was literally cyberbullied. And I also stepped into the fray uh, to defend her and to try and at least bring an end to the barrage and if anything it just kind of cascaded and became even more and I think that's what triggered the mental health challenges that she has experienced and really this new chapter of our relationship. Shami so take us through what was going on then for you. First of all I think even from like high school I remember there was a time where I tweeted something about feeling depressed and I think someone who followed me got in touch with my mom to be like check on her Yeah, I remember. and my that. mom came into my room and she's like what are you tweeting? Like, what are you saying? Why are people telling me to check on you? Like, don't put that kind of stuff out there. Like, it's a private thing, you know? So for me, like, that kind of made me quiet in a sense because, like, instead of being like, wait, why are you depressed? Why are you tweeting that? Why are you saying that? It was like, no, don't let people know that, you know? So from then, I kind of felt um, a certain type of way. And it wasn't all necessarily circumstantial. I know that a lot of it can be chemical. But I've always internalized things very deeply. If someone treats me badly or if I'm in a relationship where I'm treated badly or whatever the case may be, I always kind of blame myself. And after learning that I have borderline personality disorder, I realized that that was part and parcel of that. So when this whole thing then happened, that was the first time I started self-harming. And it was just kind of like 
it was one of the worst things I've ever been through. And having so many negative things said to me, it's like the only way I knew how to deal with things was to internalize them. So it was like, okay, to escape the mental and emotional pain, I'm going to exert physical pain on myself because it's a distraction and it also represents the worthlessness that I feel right now when you like can do that to yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think for me, I always thought that we had such a great relationship. <laughs> you see, she loves that she's yeah. laughing. <laughs> when, yeah. when she was wow. young, in primary school, in high school, from that vantage point, I thought, yeah, we have our moments of connecting really well. We have our laughter. We have this level of friendship and then parenting has And you its think own. you are winning at parenting. Exactly. Exactly. So when the things that she was battling with started coming to the fore, it completely undone what I thought was going on that entire time or what I thought my contribution was that entire time. So it was a coming down of the walls or a facade or an impression that I had in quite a dramatic way. I can remember when I first found out that Shami was cutting, there was a friend of hers who called me to say, I'm really worried, like a best friend at the time. Like this might cause an end to my friendship with her, but as a friend, I can't sit back and not say anything. I've got to tell you. And at the time, you want to step in and take that pain away. You want to step in and take charge of the situation and fix it and do what you can to set it on a course that you think will correct it. And I think that's often the first instinct for parents. You want to take the friction out of your child's life. You want to take the pain, the suffering, carry it for yourself, for instance, uh, or find ways to reduce it for them. And the more I did that, the more she pushed back almost to say, I have to do this my way. I can't do it your way. I've lived marching to your orders for the longest time. I'm 18 and I've got to do it my way. And that wasn't always easy. I never even knew that you could be fragile up until a certain point. So my mom was very kind of like toughen up. Like, why are you, like, why are you crying? And only like... In recent times or since our relationship has improved, have I seen that you can be soft, fragile, anxious? Before, I never saw you as a person that had anything behind the wall. And did you ever feel, Shami, so that there was this expectation that you had to be a certain way because you were Azania's daughter? Uh, yeah, I definitely still feel that too today. I mean, a lot of people will comment and be like, oh, your mom must be devastated. Like, you have tattoos on your face or whatever, just the contrast, you know, in terms of like my mom's career and how she's done things in her public image as opposed to mine where I'm like very vocal. I don't really care about nursing people's feelings or making sure that everything is clean and neat and delicate because I know that like not only am I not that person, I don't want to be either. And there's nothing wrong with the way you've done things. Like I admire you. A lot of people do. Everywhere I work, people are like, oh, your mom, we respect her so much. But it's just like we're different. You yeah. Know? And I just want to be me yeah there was a time when it was like i don't want to do anything that has to do i don't anything that has to do with this i would not industry. be here yeah like <laughs> you would not yeah. even taking pictures you'd say no don't tag me don't, don't, don't take pic, don't post pictures of me so it was really an attempt to keep separate 
live, separate parts. So much of what you're saying here today is, <laughs> is resonating with me. It's hitting me in the chest. In the moment, you think you're doing the right thing. And of course, I've also got this characteristic of I want to fix it. Yeah. Let's fix it. You're feeling anxious. Okay, how are we going to take this anxiety away? Is it exam stress? Okay, let's come up with a schedule. I'll come up with a study schedule. I'll, and it's a lot for them. It's a lot for our kids. And Katie, yeah. I'm always saying, when you're feeling that way, Sit down and come up with a plan. Yes, where's your list? That's my strategy. Make a plan. (laughs) You know, get moving. Go for a walk. Or like I'm always action orientated around these things. But I've learned to have to take a step back. Yeah. So now you think you're winning at parenting. You think you've got a plan. And then one day you get this call. Yeah. You get this call from your daughter's best friend who says, look, I'm really, really worried about uh, Shamiso. What goes through your head in that moment when you hear for the first time that she's cutting? A million and one things, your worst thoughts, your worst fears around being a parent, you start, they they just seem to draw nearer. My fear was her dying by suicide. That was the preoccupation for a while. Like I just always thought if things get so dark, this is what she might do. And in that, so what do I do? How do, do I, do I actively try and stop that? Do I just step back and give her space? So it was, I was never sure about the level of energy to apply to this issue, you know, not energy as in how much I care, but energy in terms of, am I calling her every day? Do I speak to her on the hour every hour? Do I find reasons to kind of pop eye at her place or, you know, just so that I feel like I've got enough of an eye line to what's going on with her. And that's what I couldn't decide because as it was, the overbearing parenting is what had caused the rift, has, had, is what caused the drift. So I started focusing on myself in the sense that I focused on how I felt, the worries that I was sitting with. I cried a lot and also made myself vulnerable. As she says that the, it's a vulnerability that you didn't really often get to experience growing up because I always swooped in with the answers. But I made myself vulnerable to her and to Intentionally others. Intentionally so. Intentionally, yes, to say, what's going on? How are you feeling? Try to... Figure out how to ask the questions differently and also assess what I'm offering. You know, what am I saying to her about vulnerability, about uh, mental stress? And gradually, it was like a really gradual process. Yes. Years, actually. There were years where we were apart, you know, and dipping in. And I think we needed that space for us to be able to figure out this issue and what was going on. And we got to a point where whenever she started feeling like cutting, she would call me to kind of bring herself to not do it. And I would always make sure I try and make sure that I'm a reassuring, understanding voice, because often in the past, and I'm grateful because we we had such an open relationship where she could tell me that you were judgmental and overbearing, Mm. you know. So now the the approach was to be more understanding, uh, more empathetic more vulnerable. But those are huge lessons for you. Huge. I mean, I look at what Khalil Gibran wrote about children. I I hold on to that for dear life because he says life is the man, the parent is the bow and the child is the arrow. So yours is just to facilitate the casting off of this person into whatever direction that arrow will go in. And also just disassociating myself from the arrogance of thinking that I am a God in her life, that hers is to march to my drum and to do as I say or for her to live out some kind of ambition, my ambition for her life. And I started increasingly telling myself that she's here to fulfill her own life's purpose. 
you know, and every time she did a visible tattoo, I would have like <laughs> a quick heart race and then bring myself back to those thoughts that she's here to live her own life, express the way she wants, not express the way I expect. And that kind of helped me to cope and to come to that understanding that even as I want to have grace and understanding from other people, I should be the first to give my children that grace and understanding whenever they needed it. And to trust that I raised them well, to be kind people, to be considerate, to be responsible and, you know, responsible citizens in this world, to trust that and to let them kind of unfold or let their lives unfold in the way that they intended to. So, Shami, so when you hear your mom say, I cried a lot, and a few moments ago you told us she never showed us her vulnerability, how does that make you feel in, in this moment to know that now she is being very openly and intentionally vulnerable for you? I've never doubted that my mom cares. Like, I know my mom would do anything for me and my brother. Like, she's the best example of a mother's love. Like, for me, I wouldn't fault you on that. But like I said, it was just, I think, just, yeah, my mom's very critical of herself, actually. Let me say that she's actually overly critical of herself. <laughs> and then it just also, then it's like, you're all going to get judged as well. <laughs> like, I'm going to criticize all of you too. Because I can't it's go the through this quest alone. for perfection. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I feel like yeah. um, I always knew that she cared. Yes. But for me, it's like that vulnerability is not translating into our conversations. I'm still not feeling comfortable to maybe just sit and cry and talk because even though you're so worried, you're still like, hi, Sham. Mm. And today, <laughs> what did you do? Mm. Did you think about cutting again? No. <laughs> no, no, ma. Okay, that's good. That's good. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just like, I'm not about to be here. Like, oh my God, help me. You know, she's just very, so I'm just saying, like, I know she cares, but it wasn't coming through in terms of like the vulnerability that is not the care. It wasn't coming through in terms of our, you know, so I know, but it's like, we weren't at that place where we could meet. Like, yeah. Your mom spoke earlier about her fears of uh -huh. you dying by suicide. Uh -huh. Did you ever come close to that point? where you had suicide ideation so much so that you'd almost planned it? Basically, without being too trigger warning, I wouldn't want to do anything that would like hurt me, but then not finish the job. So it was just like, for me, it was just, but in terms of ideation, 100%, I would sometimes just feel like, I've always said, bef like at times when my mind is on a loop, mm. kind of, I always, I'm like, I feel like my mind is broken. It kind of feels like I'm just on this loop. I can't explain it, but it's like, you can't get yourself out of this, Thought. Yeah, this thought process thought of cycle, like, yeah. you're worthless, you're a burden, you need to die, you'll never properly be happy, you know what I mean? You'll never be fixed, you'll never be okay. And it's just like, like I said, I, I stay on, I could stay on like a loop for like a, like weeks at a time where it's like, you know, when Ricky passed on, I was just very triggered by it. Mm. I can't explain why. Mm. I was having meltdowns at work. Like I, I couldn't shoot anymore. I was storming out of studio. I was crying all my makeup off. You know, I was self-harming again. I was just miserable because I was in like a triggered loop. So when I do get like that, I do think about how much easier it would be to just end it all. But even at times where I haven't had so much to be grateful for, I've always thought about my mom because I know it would like... It ruin your life. <laughs> of course. <laughs> say it like that. But I know I know you'd never recover. So no, I wouldn't. Believe it or not, yeah. she kept me going yes. in thought. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, we our first episode of this podcast, we interviewed Jason Goliath. Mm -hmm. And he spoke about 
what kept him from doing it. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same thing, his mom. Mm. He said he felt that he could not do that to his mother. So this thread is very, very interesting mm-hmm. for me. How do you get yourself out of that, Shamisa, that moment, that loop? And for me, the important part of this particular question is how are we then helping others who are potentially listening yeah. to go when you are in this loop of self-loathing potentially or feeling worthless, what is it that's making you see that sunlight? Okay, so for me, first of all, I'm very vocal. I love to talk about... I'm like the type of person who asks like seven people for advice and not listen to anyone. <laughs> just so that I can talk and just so someone can talk to me. Like I love yeah. to to talk to people. So for me, I'm very big on like opening up, venting, leaning on my support system. But I'm also very big on like not rushing myself out of something. You know, mm. like I don't... Not like someone where it's like, okay, no, you've been in a funk. Get up, go to the gym, take a jog, drink some water pray I don't know like I let myself feel miserable for a bit like I can have a whole weekend where I'm like indoors in bed watching stuff on my phone notifications off barely eating I know I feel horrible but like I let myself feel that way and I'll be like you know tomorrow we'll we'll try you know Mm. because it's okay not to be okay yeah it's fine to admit there's a lot of people who I might speak to and I'll be like oh I have a bad temper you know I have anger issues or I have borderline and some people like oh no how can you say that about yourself don't own things like that why it's like i'm not owning it i'm self-aware this is what i have this is what i deal with know thyself yes exactly i'm not saying oh it's great like it's so cool to get angry so quickly like rock on like no you know so i think just knowing that it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to be where you're at and not having to try to mask it yeah bypass yeah I want to bring Ashley in. Ashley Craig, our clinical psychologist. So much to unpack here, Ashley. But let's talk about support and picking up on what Shamisa just told us, this, the importance of having a network and a support system around you. Yeah, I think as Shamisa said, it's the most important thing. And also that it's how we go about accessing that support. As you were saying, you know, it's about communicating at the time that you're ready. And, you know, as Anya, you said also that it's about providing that space, but not forcing it. And I think it's, you know, if we're thinking of it from a parenting perspective, it's offering that space in a way that's saying, I'm not going to judge you when you come to the space, when you need that help. You know, whether you're going to be expressing a positive thing to me or a negative thing, we'll deal with it and we'll go through this together. And I think that's an important message for parents to instill from a young age. And also to express for themselves, like you were saying, you always saw your mom as this strong person who, you know, didn't express vulnerability. And I think to show that vulnerability as a parent gives the child a message that this is an acceptable thing to feel. We're allowed to feel this and that we can then figure it out together. And just to add on that, I think, Shamiso, your point now around giving yourself time to experience the negative, that's also so important because we so quickly want to fix and get rid of, but we have to go through it. And I think it's also about being curious about what you're feeling and saying, okay, this doesn't feel good, but I'm in it now and let me go through it. And that's what resilience is. It's not making it go away. It's choosing how to react to the feeling, not about not feeling it, if that makes sense. But Jamila, let's bring you in now because so many young professionals, I think, often feel completely overwhelmed. So we think that, oh, we've got it, we've got it made, we matriculate, then we graduate from varsity, then we'll go into the workspace and then my life will be sorted. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. What do you see in terms of financial planning, in terms of your clients? I think the thing about what we do is we need to take into consideration what we're coming from, right? So COVID had a huge effect on a lot of people in mental fact, 
right? When it came to their mental health, when it came to their emotional stability, their financial health. And what we're seeing with clients, I mean, I work a lot with young professionals and 100% agree that, yes, we are seeing a lot of financial stress that has come, that has been also a ripple effect of what, you know, what we see on a daily. And I think this conversation is very, very important because from what Shemiso, you know, also spoke of, our young professionals really have a lot that they're dealing with. And yes, they are struggling. You know, we have a lot of financial pressure, which I think we do need to unpack and understand what financial stress is. Financial stress is what it is to you. And what that means for us, right? Well, how we look at it as advisors is we need to look at, you know, the conversations that we're having with our clients to determine, is it quantitative? Is it qualitative? Quantitative for us is you have monthly expenses that you're meeting, right? You've got monthly commitments. And sometimes you're just at that point where you're meeting your expectations, Qualitative is you've got family members that you have to support. You've got pressure from being the first time in your family, first time to be a CA or to be an actuary, to be a doctor. So on top of that, right, you have a lot of social media triggers, which is also causing a lot of peer pressure as well as expectations. So that support structure that Shamiso and Azania have been talking about is very, very important. And what we do as financial advisors is we make it easier for you. We have those conversations. We meet you where you are at. And that's why it's very, very important to actually really look into speaking to a financial advisor and making sense of your finances. So that's one less thing that at least you can worry less about. You speak often about the three L's. When it comes to young professionals, talk to us a little bit about those three L's and what they mean. Definitely. I think what we spoke of earlier around financial stress and our clients having to navigate this uncertainty, right? It's very important that we need to understand that our clients, you know, are in different phases of their lives, right? What that means is there's a lot of planning that has to go with those different phases. And in those different times, you need to be able to take care of what we just spoke about, the three L's, right? That lifetime piece is very important to understand where you are in your life. That lifestyle piece is very important to understand, you know, what are your expectations on a monthly basis, you know, or on a daily basis or from family. And that legacy piece is very important to understand what do you want? You know, at the end of the day, what message do you want to leave whilst you're no longer here? So, navigating that space where our clients are trying to make an understanding of, it's very important. So we just want to make sure that, you know, with those three L's, we really bring it back home. We make it make sense for you, as simple as that. It's very important to have these conversations, especially around mental health, as early as possible. And also, it's very important to understand that you don't have to have it figured out. Ashley, let's come back to you. What do you think is the biggest learning that potentially comes out of that and the lesson that we can take? Because ultimately, it's our children, I realize, that teach us. And that Khalil Gibran quote, it's that letting go and learning to let go of this arrow that I think is the most difficult, but I imagine the most empowering at the same time. Yeah. And scary. Can I please just say it is scary? The thought of having to let this arrow go? Sure. Terrifying. As I know, when you were talking about, you know, your emotional reaction to Shamis or self-harm and that you had to take a moment to make sense of it for yourself. And I think for, you know, if I can give any message to parents, it's you, you're also a human being and you also have to process your emotional reactions to this huge important part of your life, which is your child, who you're trying to guide in the best direction, as you say, the arrow. So it's really, you know, as a parent, if you can fuel yourself emotionally, 
then you're going to be the best version of a parent for your child and for that support space. Did you feel that, Azania, that Shamisa was an education for you, that you learned so much from her? She is probably one of my biggest teachers in this life. I've learned so much, not just about her, of course, but just about the human condition and about myself. And I think it's Glennon Doyle who talks about being broken open, you know, because after this, you're just never the same. But at the same time, you're grateful for that break because it's just brought out so much more richness into our relationship. I used to curse the day that cyberbullying incident happened. I used to curse it, but I've since shifted from seeing it as a gift for us to turn into an improvement of ourselves and our relationship. So one of the, the difficulties that I have found, and I must share some of my own experience and hearing from you, Azania, is that we raise our children, at least I've raised my two sons, to be independent thinkers and to interrogate things and to question things. And from the time they were very, very little, I made sure because of my life in news that they knew what was happening in the world and they knew what was just and unjust and did all of these good things. But actually, I did not expect it to turn on me. I did not expect this, in, this, this, this absolute independence and free thinking, and I think I'm seeing a little yeah. bit of this here, <laughs> to one day kind of turn around and go, but actually, mom, you, you told us to question things, and I'm questioning you. Moms want that until it's applied to you. That's the thing. Like, my mom's always told me to speak up, always told me to question things, always all of this stuff. Mm. And then it's like... But not here. <laughs> yeah, not with me. It's like, not here. Then it's like... No, now if she, if she says something that's incorrect and you're like, no, that's not what happened. That's not what I said. Then it was like, well, back then it was like, no, you're back chatting. I'm like, <laughs> this attitude applies everywhere. Like, it's, yes. no one is in VIP. Yeah, so we want you to be independent thinkers, maybe just not so much at home. Yeah, yeah, not at yeah, home. yeah we want to be in the VIP. The teas and seas. It's a lesson. It really is a lesson and a half. And you just have to humble yourself. I think as parents, we always put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have all the answers. And we've been talking about perfection in this chat, but to always be perfect in the eyes of our children, to never put a foot wrong or be at fault in the eyes of our loved ones and our children, that there's a lot of pressure for you to be such a model, you know. So when you're confronted with your own fallibility, when you're confronted with your own shortcomings, and this is in front of them. It's something to overcome, you know, a little bit of that embarrassment. You're like, okay, I have to overcome this and normalize the version of you making mistakes so that they also don't grow up but to be too hard on themselves. But that's what actually make you more perfect as a parent when you're like, oh, I actually think I made a mistake with that uh, earlier on. Let me fix it instead of like, no, 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 no mistakes on my part. Like, I can only do everything right yeah. because it's like... Yeah. yeah, I think being more perfect would actually be like, oh, I was wrong mm. and I'm sorry. Mm. And this got the best of me. You mm. know what I mean? Instead of like, oh, now I can't even admit that I'm wrong because then they're going to think yeah. Yeah. lesser of me. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a valuable point you're making because what's that giving the message then is that, yes, I'm allowed to make mistakes and it's not the end of the world. And I think, you know, Katie, you were talking about teaching your child to be independent. And I guess what that also instills is critical thinking, which I think in the digital age is so important because, you know, children, adolescents and young adults were overwhelmed by information. And some of that is, you know, harming and toxic. And we, you know, like you were saying, the cyberbullying aspect. So, you know, if we can be an independent thinker and make decisions for ourselves, we can critically look at the information that's coming to us and say, 
that's actually not healthy for me or I do think that would be helpful. So, you know, I think that's a, a good way to <laughs> raise a child. If I can just add something there, you know, be one clients to come tell us all their financial difficulties, where they've gone wrong, where they've overspent. But it's so humbling also, you know, to know that you find a CEO coming to you to say, what is retirement? What is a pension fund? What is a profit? So the, the simple context is very, very important. But we need to also live in a world where mistakes are okay because there's people and experts in those fields that are there just to make it more clearer. And we see that a lot. So true. Azania, how's this experience with Chamiso changed the way that you raise your son? Oh, I think he's I'm so a, lucky. He's very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a better <laughs> parent. I'm a better parent for it. Yeah, so my foot is just a little bit less on the pressure accelerator. I'm much more accommodating of his views and the different emotions that he's grappling with, though, of course, he doesn't quite have the vocabulary that <laughs> she does. Uh, it's a give and take and not a dictatorship. And to also allow his life to just unfold with its own set of challenges, its own unique set of challenges and unique sets of triumphs that belong to him to be also his, to unfold in the way that they're meant to be. And Shamiso, what advice or words of wisdom, should I say, would you give to someone like your brother or anybody else out there who's listening when they do get to this place where you feel like cutting is the only option? I would 100% encourage you to lean on your support system. I'm really sorry for those of you who feel like you don't have one, but you're not alone. You're not the only person that is like you, but you really do need to lean into people because a lot of the big thing about mental health is that it's a very isolating and you'll con- it'll convince you that you need to be alone, that you annoy people, that you bother people. That I'm always like, why am I the only person I know like this? Like, I don't know anyone else with borderline. I don't know anyone else who feels things as strongly as I do or has had some of the reactions I've had to certain things. And it makes me feel horrible. I'm like, everyone has their issues, but why do I have issues like this? Why is my mental health like this? So I think when you start to feel like that, you isolate yourself because you're like, I don't want to bother people. And I just want to encourage people to not let those voices in your head win that are telling you that you're not lovable or that you can't lean on anyone or that you irritate people or that the world would be a better place without you. Like none of that is true. The voices in your head aren't always you. That's something I read one time. It's like a neural part that's formed. That's another voice, but it's not actually you. So the ego will tell you things, you know. So I would just say like, don't listen, speak to your people and find something that helps you get that physical tension out in a good way. I remember when Shamiso started sharing online. She mentioned the tweet earlier, but yes. this was when we were in the same under the same roof. But since the various phases of this mental health journey, she's been sharing quite extensively online. And initially, I thought that she shouldn't, you know, and it took me a while to understand why she shared. And now when I see how people have responded to that, it gives me a sense that what she's just said now, that you need to know that there are other people like you, other people who are going through what you're going through. So it's been a great source of comfort for lots of young people who might not be able to talk to their parents or to find things that resonate with them. I go to places and people are like, are you Shamiso's mom? You see how the tables have turned? Yes, exactly. And it's largely because of the openness where I'm from a generation perhaps that would want to conceal it, see it as a source of shame, something that shouldn't be out in the open. Others shouldn't know what will others say. I'm from that generation. And she's from a generation that is normalizing 
mental health challenges. And I think it's to the benefit of not just the person who's sharing, but the people who will be coming across these messages and it might provide solace in a way. Well, we started this podcast by welcoming well-known broadcaster Azanya Musaka and her daughter Shamisa. We're going to end this podcast by saying thank you very much to a person in their own right, a personality in their own yes. right, Shamisa Musaka and her mother Azanya. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure and thanks for coming with me. <laughs> Shout Always. out. <laughs> for life. Thank you to all of you. This has been a stunning conversation. Thank you for opening up and for sharing your journey. I hope our audience finds it as meaningful and impactful as I did. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast as we shed light on the multifaceted aspects of youth mental wellness, exploring themes such as resilience, self-discovery, and of course, as we've heard, the importance of open and honest communication, the role of family, and the power of community support. This brings us to the end of today's episode of our Reimagine Mental Health podcast series, brought to you by Investec Life, an authorised FSP and licensed insurer. If you'd like to listen to the next episode, please subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye from me, Katie Catapodas, and the Investec Life team. (laughs) 